2: plushcare.com slash weight loss
0: That's it. yeah they have asked for that really oh, you can laugh the walk up I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me you don't know what you're talking about. Well, did you want? Know I'd like to stay alive for All six right, days. I I'd say it to you, face, and later. I'll say it to you it to now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, will What you doing down here,
1: you showing man. Oh, and Murph and Ken here with Monday's Irish Times second captain's football podcast. It's a busy, busy Monday. I think I'm on safe ground in saying that. Hi, Ken. Hi, hi, hi Owen. How are you? Hi,
3: Karen. On a personal level or in the football world? Football world. Oh, okay. Let's Let's I keep my... Personal life out of this, Murph. You know that.
1: <laughs> okay, so what's the latest? The Manchester United job, Manchester United manager's job alone could actually fill a podcast. I think the latest here: Louis Van Hal has two games left to save his position, according to many reports this morning. Reports that also indicate Jose Mourinho is a serious candidate to replace him. Ryan Giggs has staked his claim by spending the last twenty minutes of the game against Norwich, standing as far away from humanly possible. Uh, from the outgoing manager just gesticulating just wildly there I know you were quite impressed by this Ken we'll get on to oh. that Pep Guardiola is on the market officially he's confirmed his exit from Bayern Munich in the summer but he'll more than likely go to Manchester City who play Arsenal tonight and Seth Blatter unfortunately out of the running for the United job he and Michel Platini have been this morning banned from all football related activity for eight years which I assume includes managing one of the biggest teams in the world so no Sepp Blatter to Old Trafford, Ken.
4: No, it looks as though Sepp and uh, micha Platini are not going to be uh, doing that job. Um,
1: that's just one story. There's a lot going on today, isn't there?
4: Yeah, there really I haven't
1: even mentioned Klopp there. I want to save some, some for your report on sport here, but yeah. it really is... Uh,
4: oh, no, it's it's ridiculous, huh? We better get into it. Let's get into
1: the report on sport.
4: Um, we'll, we'll start with Blatter, actually, because he, I know that there's not... Okay, it's just kind of the same stuff that's been going on for a while, but he has done a press conference, which... Um, The most striking thing about it, actually, was Bladder's appearance. He uh, was unshaven, which is very... I've I've literally never seen him like that before. He had a plaster on his cheek just under his right eye, which apparently is to do with a mole that he recently had removed. Mm -hmm. And he looks like he's put on weight in the last uh, little while. He hadn't even bothered to sort of brush his hair. And generally, it was... A strange, uh, a much reduced uh, step ladder, at least in terms of dapperness, uh, from that which we're, we've got used to over the last, uh, you know, forty years of his yeah, he really did career look, at FIFA. Just
1: didn't look healthy, and he has had his health issues, as you mentioned recently.
4: Maybe he, I mean, this press conference had been planned, so it's not as though he was. He looked like he was just out of bed. Maybe he slept in. I'm not. I'm not sure. He turned up anyway at the press conference, and uh, he he was there with his daughter Karina. Um, why has he been banned? The reason he's been banned is that um, uh, the FIFA Ethics Committee didn't believe his story about uh, Michel Platini and the money that Platini was given in 2011. It was a story that both Blatter and Platini had, but the Ethics Committee said, don't believe your story. The story essentially was that um, uh, Bla- uh, Platini and Blatter had made a verbal agreement, um, a million Swiss francs a year, uh, that that uh, Platini was going to get paid by FIFA to do some work for FIFA. This was like back at the end of the 90s um, after the the, uh, World Cup in France. Uh, For some reason, when they made this deal, they just kept it as a verbal deal. They didn't put it in a contract or make any note of it. So when a a big payment arrived from FIFA to Platini just before the 2011 FIFA presidential election, (laughs) it looked as though something was... It looked as though something was going on there. People thought, "Well, hang on a second that looks a, that looks a little bit dodgy." And so, was, went,
3: was there has there ever been any explanation as to why uh, FIFA just? I mean, it, it the, the way Blatter was talking today it was like this is just a minor bookkeeping error. Effectively, it's like an admin problem that mm. uh, a hugely cash rich organization such as FIFA just didn't have the cash on them for time. for twelve years. Well, of course, they
4: weren't that rich then because Blatter's uh, regime was only cranking up um, into gear. It was only in its in its first year, I think, at the time. And Bladder, in 1998, I think, he took over FIFA. And uh, now, obviously, FIFA is this massive, um, uh, you know, massively wealthy organisation, thanks to the way in which Bladder has... Uh, well, this is, you know, what Bladder would tell you, mm-hmm. the way that he's marketed the sport and struck all these sponsorship deals. Anyway, what did he say in this press conference? I'm really sorry. I am sorry... Yeah. That I am still a punching ball. Nah. I'm, I am, as president of FIFA, this punching ball. And I'm sorry for football. I'm sorry to FIFA. I'm sorry. But I'm also sorry about me, how I am treated in this world of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there you go. I think Nelson Mandela was brought up quite early on. Yes, uh, Nelson so, Mandela celebrating humanity or uniting humanity through football or something like that was apparently invented by this great humanitarian, Nelson Mandela, who Bladder was mentioning for some reason. Um, so this is what he says. "We're This is him, himself on the deal with Patini. He says, we're in a so-called oral contract or gentleman's agreement. This agreement was made in 1998 in France, just after the World Cup, when Mr. Platini said he would like to work for FIFA, I said it was wonderful. He said he wanted one million Swiss francs. I said, "Okay, we'll pay you part now, part later." What astonishes me now about the decision of the FIFA Ethics Committee is that they deny they deny the existence of such an agreement. Um, these allegations: I've given a gift to Platini because of this arrangement contract. I'm suspended eight years, but I will fight. I will fight uh, for me and for FIFA. I've been suspended eight years for what? Uh, he said, points out that himself and Bettini were asked separately about this. And we were separated, we couldn't speak together, we've given the same answer, but now they say it's not relevant. You know what that means? You know what that means? That means that we're two liars. He is and I'm a liar. That's not correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's not correct. Uh, so he's so he says he's gonna he's gonna fight, you know. Um Blah, blah, blah. And then he kind of went on. I'm a man of principles. I repeat, never take money you haven't earned. Pay your debts. Uh, Now they're telling me I tried to buy Trimie Platini votes for the 2011 elections. No. Uh, I regret I am a punching ball. And for my organization, I've served my heart. You know, FIFA's still working well. Um, It is fairly spectacular that they both go down
1: together. mm. These two... Enemies. Enemies. Yeah. who, uh, this is the only time in about 10 years they found any common ground is in both um, trying to defend themselves from these allegations, but it's maybe even more spectacular that Platini has gotten caught up in this, yeah. like, given how he liked to set himself up as sort of a, a polar opposite in a lot of ways to Sep Ladder.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just, the problem is that the story is incredible. Maybe what, maybe what they're saying is true, but unfortunately it looks, if you had to bet one way or the other, You'd feel a little bit naive placing a bet on. through telling
1: you. Surely the, truth. the ethics committee, though, this would be the argument of Blatter's lawyers, I'm sure, um, unsuccessfully, and Platini's. The ethics committee has to be more than fairly confident that this was an illegal payment. They have to they prove are. it.
4: They obviously are. They certainly seem to be. If they well, I, I don't know. What's the standard of proof? Does the ethics committee have to prove beyond reasonable doubt?
1: Well, it's going to go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. So mm. they're going to have to. It's going to have to stand up there. Mm. Those guys. No there those guys, those guys know their law can
4: Yeah, <laughs> so I mean uh, there there are different there are different standards of proof, aren't there, for different levels of kind of legal proceedings. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, remember that's how OJ OJ was able to walk away from the criminal trial uh, if because it doesn't it fit, beyond you must reasonable doubt. Yeah. <laughs> but um but then when it came to this when it came to the civil trial and when the, where the, the proof required was um, in all probability, I think it was, or or on the balance of probability suddenly his case didn't look so strong.
1: Although you've hit on something there. If you're a defence lawyer, Has, all, all like, you really need to do is make up catchy rhymes. And yeah, clearly they've failed. Bladder's lawyers have I mean, failed. Here I am this, 22
3: years later like, and yeah. 21 years later? Yeah. I still remember it, so. Yeah. A little something for Bladder's lawyers to think about there.
4: Um, listen to Bladder, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ken, he would have been clear. If you had been representing him with that right?
4: and you could have made a he-
3: well a reasonable save if he got his uh, law- lawyer fees as well. Mm.
4: Yeah, well, his lawyers haven't done much good because, unfortunately, his story just doesn't make any sense. If you if you were making this deal with Platini, I don't see any reason why they couldn't draw up a contract at the time. You know, it just seems like the most obvious thing to do. Yeah, you, you're talking about a few million uh, Swiss francs. It's not a it's a not unsubstantial insubstantial amount of money. Why not just draw up a contract? And why not pay him at some point over the previous seven years? Why pay him in what the, what, in the form of what looks like a massive bung just before an election, <laughs> and, you know, more than a decade later? Why do that? So on the balance of probability... I'm still saying straight, that, it,
1: the, that yeah. the rhyme would scupper that entire argument, mm. that rhyme that you just put forward there.
4: Yeah. Well, this maybe the
1: bladder, it doesn't matter. It scuppers all that logic.
4: Maybe it would, although this is probably a German or French-speaking court.
1: Yeah, well, there's got to be, what, they can't rhyme? There's been no great French poets? <laughs> <you're> <laughs>
4: Uh, Blatter added at the very end, he said, oh, by the way, no one had asked him about this. He said, I I will not speak about my health. And then he proceeded to do just that. Uh, He said, I I will tell you on the 1st of November, without the big help of somebody, we wouldn't be here today. This is in relation to a recent health crisis he had. He was in hospital. He didn't give the um, details of it. He said... uh, Thanks to my valet origin, valet being the the village that he's from, where in fact where he said there was a crisis, there's a lot of collateral damage. He said my daughter has been mocked, my village is in crisis as a result of what, of of the calumnies that have been heaped upon him by the ethics committee. Uh, but he said as real, uh, my valet origin, a lot of good genes. Thanks to my good heart, I've never lost my mind. Um, and today. Uh, I'm back. I'm doing better. I've the support of my daughter, uh, the support of Linda, my love, and a lot of people still inside FIFA. Um, so, yeah, he seems to be uh, in you know back in, in better physical shape, which is which is good at least. There was one adding insult to injury was Tim Roth over the weekend doing an Ask me anything uh, on on Reddit. They asked him what about that FIFA movie you were in, Tim, I mean, what were you thinking? Tim says uh, the film is awful. Well, I can't say that, because I haven't seen it. I hated doing it. It was the wrong film, but for the right reasons. I had two kids in college, so I had to make a decision, and it was probably poorly judged. But once you make that decision, you have to follow through. It's a hard road being in something you don't want to do, but I'm glad I did it for my family. (laughs) As for FIFA, I thought. It sounds that,
3: like, you know, <laughs> that's what you'd say if you had to donate a kidney or something, yeah. you know? It's like, I had to do it. It was for my family.
4: I mean, he doesn't mention how much he got paid to do the movie, like, or what it was. But, you know, two kids in college, you know, in America, uh, that's pretty expensive. Um, so, yeah, you need you needed you need to make a few dollars where you can. He says, As for FIFA, I thought the movie would be much more about the corruption of this guy at first. I don't, I don't know if I believe Tim Roth either his story sounds about as implausible as step does he not look at the script before he agrees to do? It? I, remember, I remember reading another interview with him a while ago where he was saying um, you know basically he, he arrived and like he got the script and he was kind of leafing through it and he was like where's the corruption and, and he was like you know I tried to put a little bit of it in just with a sort of nod and a wink you know try to get as much of it get as much of it in there as I could but I thought, do you not look at the script at all before you part? agree yeah. to do the movie uh, apparently not. He says, um, I don't know if he's going to go down. This is from Saturday again. I don't know if he's going to go down. He seems to have survived everything that's been thrown at him. There doesn't seem to be any way he can get to them because of all those big corporations behind him. It looks most promising now, though. It looks like he's on a back foot now because he looks more exposed than he ever has been in the past. So that's Tim Roth's view. It's pretty
1: exposed, <laughs> all right?
4: It's yeah, true. Now, over the weekend, uh, dramatic scenes at Stamford Bridge where there was a collection of banners. Uh, the best one was definitely the Rats banner, I think. The three rats. <laughs> Hazard, Sesko, and Costa. Diego Costa booed as he was substituted by his own supporters. Um, he looked like he really enjoyed the moment, actually. Mm-hmm. Chest out, sort of staring back up at the fans, you know? You're going to boo me? Um, he, he seems to be quite happy uh, to be booed by that. But, he, th- you know, a whole stadium chanting, where were we you when we were shit, as Chelsea players scored goals, and then... Chanting for Jose Mourinho. This is just yeah, it's amazing. Oh, it's ridiculous. This is what happens, you know. This is what happens when Jose Mourinho is at a club. You uh, <laughs> what you're left. This is what you're left with. It is. It's just now. I, I guess what will happen is oh, you know. This will maybe there will be a little a rump of Chelsea fans who will keep chanting for Jose Mourinho from time to time. Maybe even it will go on a little bit like the way that Manchester United fans chant for Eric Cantona to this day. You know what I mean? Maybe he will still be sung about by Chelsea fans in 20 years. Um, I don't know. But at the moment, it seems to be causing a lot of... Uh, there seems to be quite a lot of acrimony there. This is the way it turns out. This is the way it turns out when you're pointing fingers at people and blaming people. Mourinho was talking about being betrayed by his players. And now, naturally, a lot of the fans think the players betrayed Jose Mourinho.
1: Yeah, plus, they, they're showing their loyalty to the best manager they've ever had.
4: The best manager they've ever had. Um, Yeah, he is. He is the best manager they've ever
1: had. So it's understandable in a lot of ways that they would would support him. Yeah. Uh, Show show the support. They were supporting him very loudly and conspicuously while he was in the process of getting himself fired over the last few months. Mm. So it would not be a bit strange if suddenly they turn up and just start cheering all these players and uh, letting Mourinho's memory go after one game.
4: Well... I don't know. I mean, why? What's, what's the reason for this hero worship of Jose Mourinho?
1: Well, he won them three league titles in the Well, league.
4: he didn't do it himself, you know.
1: Yeah, but as manager.
4: I mean, some of the players they were booing won them that most recent league title. Yeah. I mean, Hazard, Seskin Costa are probably the three best players from last season. You know, the three rats. The rats.
1: Well, it's very clear when you see that players aren't trying hard, as they weren't. Maybe it's less clear to discern exactly what the manager is or isn't doing. Behind. Is it a
4: question it's, of them not trying or is it a question of them not really having confidence in, in what they're doing or not, not knowing really what's expected uh, of them?
1: Supporters getting onto me on Twitter, anytime I mention Chelsea, quite a few of them have said, yes, it is that they're not trying. That some of them aren't trying.
4: Mm. You say not
1: trying, it's a relative, but not really busting that, not not going 110%, again, as they would say in football.
4: Yeah, I think you need to... I think if you want to go 110%.
1: It is hard. It's difficult to go 110%.
4: You need to have a clear idea of what it is you're supposed to be doing. You know, you really need to
1: well, stop getting walked around in midfield like Ses Fabregas did about 20 times this season, I, he, where he stands there like a traffic cone yeah. and allows people to he, He's him. like
4: He, he follows the, the guy he's marking around like a balloon on a piece of string <laughs> tied around the guy's waist, and Cesc is slowly bobbing around in his wake. Yeah, but, I mean, is that because Ses Fabregas isn't trying, or because, or is it because Ses Fabregas, has, you know, has, has the calcified body of a man who has played, like, 75,000 games before his, you know, 29th birthday? You know, he, he's like um, turning to dust before our eyes in the, in the manner of Wayne Rooney, you know, another player who's, who's kind of done that. Um, is it that he's not trying or is it that he just can't do it? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. They do. It is funny when you see a banner like that. I was, I was looking at that going, well, how are you so,
1: so certain that these are the three rats? Mm. Where is this actually coming from? The three rats in question here, Costa, Fabregas and Ivanovic. Well, is Ivanovich right? No, hazard. A hazard. Hazard, my apologies. I think
3: we're, we're, what that's coming from is that, well, they're, they're not half as good as they were last year. Therefore, they're not trying. Therefore, they're the rats that Mourinho... But neither is as, as, sure. John
1: Terry, though. You know, John Terry's
3: not as good as he was last year. Ex- yeah, that's, and that's He's what I'm not saying. I mean, I don't know how they could be so sure. I suppose all what they're holding against those three guys is how good they were last year. That's that, That's why they're being called rats by that particular fan. Is it
1: just that? It's not any more than that. It's not. It's not that they're the ones rumored to be at the center of any behind the scenes.
4: They are rumored. I mean, Fabregas denied that he was because he was. He was. You know, I
3: am not a rat. <laughs> <If> he, <laughs> probably that's the Seth Fabregas felt he ever ha- would have to clarify in uh, in public.
4: There were some reports he was the guy who had said, "Oh, I'd rather lose than win for Mourinho," but he denied that that was true. Ah, there have been some reports on online websites. And of course he then came out on um was it Instagram or Twitter and was like, oh, you know, this is so sad, such a sad day that Joseph Reno's left, you know. So that obviously puts him in the clear. Yeah. You know, the fact that he would come out and, and so publicly um express his sadness that Reno was gone means that he couldn't possibly have, have been one of the rats. Um you know, as for who, as for who it was, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of candidates. <laughs> when you look through, when you look through the team, I think there's quite a few players who could be, uh, who could fall into the category. But you know, I just I, I think that this is a, it's what, what it reflects is not so much the fact that Chelsea that, that there's you know rats at Chelsea. Mourinho's the one who who introduced this whole team. Mourinho's the one who caused all this division and acrimony. You know, he's the one who who was ranting and raving about betrayal and rats and all this kind of stuff, and that's the reason that you now have this divided stadium and fans booing their own players. It's actually it's all his fault. He it's because this is his style of of doing things. He did the same thing at Real Madrid. He, you know, he's accusing players of being traitors there as well. Who else does this? Can you can you name another manager who regularly is accusing players of being rats and traitors and and, and talking about being betrayed? Not offhand. No. No, nobody else does this, right? Nobody else seems to feel the need to do this. Now, Mourinho was on Claire Balding last week, you know, cutting a very relaxed figure all together, smiling charmingly all the time, making a few little jokes, none of which were particularly funny, I have to say. <laughs> was it one-on-one again? or was It was it one-on-one, and, and the then panel. they brought out Steve and Jared, and I had to turn it off. Oh, so Jared was sitting on the couch. Oh, with God, I had to turn it why? off. Why?
1: Because it just started
4: Gerard came out and they were they were shaking look it was it was late at night as well. I was watching it on YouTube and I was you know I was thinking I should go to bed anyway. Then Stevie G came out and, and uh, she, you know, it was like it, it all started to talk about the love affair between Stephen Jared and, and Jose Mourinho. Not the not an actual love affair, but you mm. know, the love affair they've had through the media. You love him, don't you? And uh Mourinho's like, Yeah. And I just thought <laughs> yes. no, I thought, no. You've, you've got
3: me there. I've yeah. got to
4: turn this off. I cannot watch any more of this. But Mourinho, when he was talking to Claire Balding, was saying, he made a couple of little gags about the seat. He said, you know, what's your most memorable moment, Josie? You've won so many things, you know? My most memorable moment is the first uh, three months of season 2015, 2016. And everyone was like, oh, hilarious. It's been his worst ever season. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's saying, you know, oh, I've learned a lot, you know. I've learned, and I've learned a lot about myself. He like she's like, about the players, about yourself? He's like, about myself. I've learned a lot about myself. I think about the players, I already know everything. But about myself, there was still some things to learn. Uh, you know, I'm a better manager than ever. You know what I mean? Like it's just okay. You're actually a worse manager than than at any previous point. You know, you've been rumbled as a manager. Your your aura is gone. You know, you can, can you can continue to act as though. That hasn't. None of that has happened. In fact, you're just. This is all enriching you and improving you. But it's clearly not. It's hope. It's damaging you, exposing you. That's the truth. You're not going to get the truth from Reno. He doesn't. It's not profitable for him to to say those kinds of things. I mean, I've, this is the stunning contrast I thought with Louis Van Hal over the weekend. Louis Van Hal loses. Uh, Manchester United lose to Norwich. Van Hal is like abandoned by Ryan Giggs, <laughs> just <laughs> abandoned by Ryan Giggs. We can all see what's going on there. You know, nobody. You don't. You know, nobody has to has to decode that. It's obvious what's happening there. Couldn't be more literal in terms of Giggs abandoning.
1: There's an empty seat there beside Louis Van Hal. <laughs> Where is it? Where is his trusted lieutenant? Is this his manager? Oh. He's up gesticulating wildly on the touchline. Exactly what English football fans, the Manchester United way, is for a manager to be up there gesticulating. Wants. Although that is you know that you remember, is actually Ferguson. Point. Yeah, Ferguson didn't gesticulate that much in his later years. He is, He would do it
4: sometimes. Day. He would. He would usually sit there chewing his gum, but sometimes he would come down to to rant and rave, but only for a minute or so at a time, mm. and then he then he'd go back up to his. Um, to really back up to his seat, seat yeah. you know, and sit there chewing gum again. You know, he's but like a lot of coaches now do that on the sideline. Look look at Klopp. You know what I mean? Klopp is there the whole game, uh, you know, st- standing there in his tracksuit. Guardiola, Guardiola is like the 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 most controlling manager I've ever seen on the sideline. It's just it's ridiculous the extent to which he gets it. Like it's a whole it's a physical performance by him, you know. Um that's what people kind of do now. Maybe it's what fans expect now. Van Hal just sits there and he ha- and he has like an old-fashioned leather document sheath. Mm. You know? It's not an iPad. It's just a leather thing to hold pieces of paper in. What is he doing? What is he doing with that thing, you know? Um, why did I get on to Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah, just a comparison and what he was saying about himself is self-analysis compared to Mourinho. Well,
4: Van Gaal, uh, afterwards, is being asked, so, you know, the you've got a few issues there. The belief is something, well, you know, it's natural when you lose games, the belief shall decrease. And that is happening now. I can't turn my eyes away from that. Belief, -belief self-belief or belief from from everyone else? The belief of the fans and the players in him, in the manager. And then, you know, he's saying, uh, but, you know, we're going to evaluate, you know, I'm not the same coach as I was 35 years ago. I, I evolve, I evaluate always. You know, that's why I am, or maybe now I have to say, was a very successful manager. And you're thinking that's an amazing thing for for someone to say, but
1: particularly someone as egotistical as Van Hal is supposed to be. That's a nice parking of the ego, isn't it?
4: Yeah, well, it's it's honest, like it's self it's it's self criticism. It's kind of confronting, you know, what what currently appears to be the reality. It's the exact opposite of what Mourinho was doing, you know, on the Claire Balding couch. I'm a better manager than ever. <laughs> you know, says Mourinho after, as his career like crashes. Signs
3: on, all right, yeah.
4: You know, uh, but 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 Van Hal is there saying the the opposite thing, so this is like a kind of honesty which suddenly seems which seems woefully out of place. It's like he for, he doesn't really know what's expected of him in this job.
1: And he was supposed to be the one who had such an ego that he was the anti David Moyes. Yeah. He wasn't going to feel too honoured to be coaching Manchester United. He was going to be bigger or as big as the club. All well, the this, is well ego, thing.
3: this is true ego stuff. because he has the the, the confidence is so ingrained in him that they can say, well, like he's just, t- he's talking honestly because he believes that his honesty is in itself. Mm. I mean, he's, he can't be affected by that because if you're grandstanding about what a brilliant manager we are, that probably hints more to insecurity than saying, well, I'm losing a few games so the players are losing belief in me. Yet.
4: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think he did. He did sound like as though he had some doubts and, and, you know, he the idea that he would say I am or maybe I have to say was and he kind of deliberately corrected himself. You know what I mean? A very successful manager. That was kind of a sad thing to hear coming out of his mouth. And it was very atypical. I mean, you mentioned David Moyes there. Mm. Moyes always maintained that everything was going well. He just sounded like he didn't believe it. You know what I mean? He he'd be like, "Oh, you know, we're working hard. You know, it's gonna come."
3: Yeah, the transcript looked fine. Yeah, it was just his haunted face. <laughs> <Vegas>. <laughs> just
4: you just knew that he didn't really think. You know, so it was a, it was a, it, it it didn't work. Um, now you've got this situation where maybe Mourinho is going to come in. It's just amazing. It's amazing that could be the case. But if the only thing that matters to you is, uh, is this going to be interesting? I mean, if they think Guardiola is going to go to Manchester City. Guardiola has confirmed he's leaving Bayern Munich. Now, in Germany, all the reports seem to suggest Manchester City is going to be where he ends up. Um and that's not, that's not confirmed yet. But if he is going to Manchester City, and you'd imagine Manchester United, if that is the case, Manchester United would have a good idea at this mm. stage. They might have talked to him and he said, sorry, actually, I'm going to go to City. You're thinking, hmm, this is a problem. You know, if they're if they're looking at Van Hal, thinking this appointment has not worked out, what are we going to do if Guardiola... He's kind of a intimidating, intimidatingly accomplished coach. Ends up at Manchester City down the road. Suddenly, City aren't just, you know, arguably more financially powerful than us, or with a better squad. They've also got, you know, a manager who's right at the cutting edge of football. There, we could fall behind them in a serious way. What can we do? What can we do? And suddenly, Mourinho, this vision of Mourinho, was kind of swimming back. Well. You know, Mourinho did manage to get the better of, of Guardiola in one of the seasons that they were at Barcelona. He also drove Guardiola away from Barcelona. He broke him, like he broke him mentally. You know, they were both maybe broken by it, but it was like, uh, you know, this. Uh, he turned it into a war. You know, he turned the whole thing into a war. Uh, it was this bitter, poisonous, it was really poisonous, compulsive, years, yeah. compulsive viewing for everybody. That's really the most important thing. If we have if they've got Guardiola what could be more showbiz than Mourinho rolling up you know a couple of miles down the road and suddenly the Manchester derby is Guardiola against Mourinho as the you know Spanish uh, clasico was just a few years ago and you know everyone's going to be watching that that keeps us relevant maybe our football isn't going to be quite as you know sexy we do know that uh, Mourinho maybe People have expressed doubts of the kind of football he plays. But does that even really matter at the end of the day? Does anyone even really watch the matches anymore or do they just watch the Vines? Mm-hmm. You know, Mourinho's teams look really good, look fine in Vines. You know what I mean? Yeah. So everyone's got to be watching. So that's really, that's why this suddenly thing, this crazy thing might actually happen. Where does Jurgen Klopp fit into all this? Uh, yeah, well, Jurgen Klopp obviously got um, got a, a good, damn good thrashing off Watford yesterday 3-0 3-0 against Watford Um, and just you know it's it's just it it, it kind of underlines the bizarre nature of the season you had like Liverpool getting absolutely destroyed by Watford having been crushed again by Newcastle the previous week Um, you have Leicester going to Everton and slaughtering Everton Mm -hmm. at Goodison and nobody nobody. the only thing that we can now say with certainty about season is Leicester just keep destroying everyone actually there was a great the, there was an interesting piece in the Economist uh, trying to work out what it was. Why why are Leicester top of the league? Kind of looking at all the looking at all the analytics um, and trying to figure out what Leicester are doing that works so well. And um, the the things that I really like about the article is the way in which it conforms to the Economist style guide. So um, I'll read it for you actually. Yeah talking about the Leicester against Chelsea game. The lofted assist into the box was provided by Riyad Mahrez, an Algerian winger whom Leicester plucked from the obscurity of the French second division, who is currently second in both the Premier League's assist and goal charts. His cross was volleyed in by Jamie Vardy, a striker who looked destined for a career in the semi-professional divisions unless, until Leicester signed him four years ago. Chelsea's captain, John Terry, had allowed the pass to reach Mr. Vardy in an error that would have been unthinkable uh, just months ago. Uh, but this season such mistakes have become typical for the Blues back forward no eyebrows were raised when Mr. Terry a member of the 2014-15 PFA team of the year was hauled off by Mr. Marino early in the second half <laughs> shortly after Mr. Mares had fired in a fine <laughs> second goal <laughs> so oh. it's great uh, uh,
3: uh, are there gentlemen and professionals is that uh, are there <laughs> mysteries is that, is that what that's about it's
4: it's, 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 lo- it's it's lovely I mean it's just something we're totally unused to in, in football but what do they? they, they kind of go into some statistics and uh, they reckon um first of all one of the problems chelsea have had uh his top 10 regulars on the pitch in over 80% of the minutes in premier league and champions league competition by far the highest mark over the past 5 seasons so this is chelsea's kind of burnout uh, theory um but also uh that they advance now this is statistic a statistic i haven't i, haven't, I don't think I've, I've even heard before but the average speed at which they move the ball forward in attacks um crawling up the field at a snail's pace of 3.5 metres per second. Apparently, Chelsea moved the ball forward very slowly. It's the second slowest in the league. They kind of pass the ball around quite a lot at the back, and then maybe it goes forward. Um, but a, on average, it's the slow, uh, second slowest in the league. Leicester, by contrast, uh, 4.9 uh, metres per second, uh, is, I think, the fastest in the league this year. They're just
1: zing it up there as soon as they get it.
4: Yeah, the more passes they have... Um, the the further the ball travels in an attacking move, the less likely Lester are to score. Ideally, they want the ball to go straight forward, Vardy to be running onto it. You know, like they got a penalty against Everton from that type of move. Mare's through ball, Vardy gets there first. Um, completely destroying John Stones, by the way. John, the future of defending Stones. You know, at the moment, Vardy's just playing so well, nobody can... Uh, nobody can stop him. Uh, they do reckon the economists reckon that Leicester will still be doing well to finish above uh, sixth place.
1: Nah, um, oh, they're, they're top. They got to be top four. Conditions. They're
4: scoring a lot more goals than they should be scoring. Uh, the f- figures say but they
1: are scoring them. I suppose might be the key point.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it's great. Like the statistics say, they probably won't stay there. But you don't actually need statistics to <laughs> tell you that Leicester probably won't stay there. However, they might. It's just there isn't really a big chance of it.
1: That's it for Keller Lee's Report on Sport.
4: FIFA made a movie recently. Did they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did, actually. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. God, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than that Blatter. Or... Yeah, that is, that's incredible ego, but the real movie's on this wave
1: well, Yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that.
4: No, no, do don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself. And I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you, we're gonna two excuses. He said,
1: no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, what do I do. And
4: that was it. We're gonna two excuses. Then I just asked him to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, to tell you, just stared at her for seven or seconds. And I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about Mm -hmm. him, there were some expletive views, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement, Mm -hmm. and Mm you've used the figure Mm there. Well done to
1: John Bruin is ready to talk to us about Louis Van Gaal. John, who we spoke about a couple of weeks ago after the elimination from the Champions League. Quite a lot has happened since then and it really does seem like it's the end of it now. A lot of briefing seems to be going on today. A few journals reporting that Van Gaal has two games to save his job.
2: Well, yeah, that's the talk, but the two games to save the job normally means that the manager's going to get sacked, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, So uh, you, you would have to say that that's the type of talk that maybe journalists come up with with that as the uh, as the deadline. But let's say if Manchester United were able to find a suitable candidate to replace Louis Van Gaal, then you might expect that he would be removed of his position.
1: Okay, so you feel that when this sort of briefing goes on, it tends to mean that really the the two games isn't about the results that might happen in the two games. It's just to give the club enough breathing space to come up with somebody else, maybe?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's almost a cliche, isn't it? Two games to save his job. I'm not sure how many games Jose Mourinho. Just as a, an example, I can't imagine why I've just thought of him. Uh, why you know th- there was a lot of he has three games to save himself. He has this to save himself. When ultimately, the decision on Mourinho's future will have been in the offing for quite a way before he actually lost his job. And you have to say with Van Hal, it's such a downward spiral that. If it is a matter of games, then he's going to get fired anyway. He won't be at the club by the end of this season. Okay,
4: I mean, let's. We can talk about the potential successors, but I think we should talk a little bit about Lou van Hal because I still feel that he's getting a raw deal here. I, I, I mean, I wonder what your thoughts on it are because I, feel, I kind of feel as though Lou van Hal has not done that badly with a poor enough squad of Manchester United players, many of whom have underperformed. Personally, one of the glaring example is obviously Rooney, Rooney but it's not as though uh, a lot of the, the players have, have done that well. Luke Shaw, who was a really important player for them at the start of the season when they were actually playing their best football, uh, was put out of action with a snapped leg. And yeah, I think, okay, you Think things could have been better, but it's not as though even right now they're that bad. That was only the first home game they lost. It's not as though he's had a Jose Mourinho-type season. For instance, they could easily still win the league this year if they leave him in place.
2: Well, you say could easily win the league, I think. <laughs> well, they I, could,
4: I mean, I, I say that because it's not as though during this slump that they've had, and it is an, undeniably a bad period, it's not as though the other teams have really raced away. You know, I mean, there's... There's always the possibility that Arsenal go through a slump of their own, and um, it's not it's not an unbridgeable gap. If things click for them, as they did, for instance, in the second half of last season.
2: Yeah, but this. Yeah, that, well, okay. We go to the clicking in the second half of last season. Let's remember that there was actually only four, five weeks at maximum where Lou van Hal's team played anything near the potential of a team having been spent £250 on it. I mean, they beat Spurs 3-0, they won 2-1 at Anfield, they beat City 4-2, and then they lost three games in a row. And I think if Liverpool hadn't been going through their own crisis, they actually could have got fourth off Manchester United last season. Uh, 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 if you actually think of how bad Manchester United were for great periods of last season, including the end of the campaign as well, where they crawled over the line. Remember that game at Crystal Palace that they won to pretty much secure fourth place. Nobody that- wins at Crystal Palace these days, John. Well, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> come on, well, that game they were they were bloody awful, and you know, and they haven't got much better. And the thing is, it, there were also behind the scenes, uh, Van Gaal is running out of friends. Um, we could talk about Mr. Giggs's desertion. Let's of his do post. that.
4: Let's up, let's let's do that because this was one of the most incredible things I, I've seen <laughs> all season. The chair next to Louis van Gaal empty, empty for the last twenty minutes of the game as Ryan Giggs stood on the sideline directing operations.
2: Amazing. Yes, it's almost as if Ryan wanted to disassociate himself from what was behind him, isn't it? It's
4: um, it's, I mean, how do you think that reflects on Giggs?
2: Well, um, let's just say that uh, if Ryan Giggs has survived as a footballer for so long through the machinations of Sir Alex Ferguson, who, let's say, made a habit of getting rid of players when he'd had their use of him, uh, Giggs knows the ways of football. He knows which way the wind blows. And I would suggest in the case of Louis van Gaal, he knows a lame duck when he sees one.
4: Yeah. I I wonder if you were... I mean, we haven't spoken about any particular successor in... Uh, you know uh, we haven't named anyone yet well, we have actually uh, but if you were if you were to be approached to take over manchester united and they were to say but ryan giggs has to be your assistant how happy would you
2: feel about that not particularly not particularly um i i'm not sure uh of how credible a coach he is now it, one of the things suggested about ryan giggs that he could one day become manchester united's guardiola I don't see that at the moment. I think that, um, and there are intimations that Giggs may himself think this, that if he is to become Manchester United manager, then he probably needs to go away and learn his craft a little bit more. Ah,
1: no, that's what they all do, and then they never end up being the Man United manager well, because it's well, a really yes, hard yes. thing to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only way he's going to be Man United manager is if he keeps being number two and I, I sneaks into the I think he might be job. right
2: with that, Owen. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> someone said this to me the other day about Gary Neville. like, Well, he's he's now ahead of He's now ahead of Giggs in the in the chances to become Manchester United manager. But then Valencia was struggling, so he moves to the back of the queue then, doesn't he? So, yeah, I, I, I see your point, Owen. I think that's a good one. But um, if Giggs, Giggs is to be Manchester United manager, then it has to be now rather than later. And it does seem to be he's putting off his own future. Um, but to go back to the original question, Ken... Um, I wouldn't be too happy to have Ryan Giggs as assistant manager if I was to be appointed Manchester United manager, which I'll be giving Ed a call later to put forward my candidacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I, I would imagine Jose Mourinho. Well, you wouldn't know Jose Mourinho. Maybe if that was the condition that this was set at the taking over as Manchester United manager, maybe he would accept Ryan Giggs as his number two and find some way to slowly alienate him. It, as Ken says in his piece today about Mourinho, everything about the idea of him taking over Old Trafford seems wrong, but yet it seems to be quite a... a, a it's certainly got a bit of currency today, this story. Do you think it could happen?
2: I think uh, th- th- there's a possibility it could happen, yeah. I mean, <laughs> let, let, let's look at this idea from from a point of view that um, if you're a Manchester United fan, the idea of Jose Mourinho having uh, pres- presided over the most disastrous season... Or half season that I, that I can ever recall of, of a champion team uh, to walk straight into the job seems crazy. That you know, there's all so, sorts of alarm bells ringing. But as a journalist, this is gold. This is absolute gold. Get this guy through the door. This is going to be funny, no just matter cause, what happens. That's
4: because you're a vulture, John. <laughs> I mean, you're you're just thinking of all the all the human flesh that's going to be scattered around, you know, for you to feast on. That's not necessarily a good thing. A good thing for the club, you know?
2: No, it's not. And I, um, you know, at the time, uh, back in 2013, when Sir Alex Ferguson stepped down, um, I was somebody who felt that, and I felt this, you know, it turned out not to be wrong, but I felt that Moyes was a manager who better fitted what I thought Manchester United still was, um, which actually turned out to be that Manchester United proved itself to be a club out of time, antiquated, um, 26 years in the past, pretty much. Um, the problem is that I also think that Van Gaal is a manager from the past. They appointed someone who, whose best days were 20 years ago. I would actually, I don't think to, uh, enough questions have been asked of why Van Gaal was chosen in the first place. Um, it seems to me that he was got through the door because Ed Woodward had his number, and um well, I mean, in, in his defense, it was only
4: four years before he arrived at Manchester United that he brought Bayern Munich to the Champions League final. I mean, you know, that's not not twenty years ago. I mean, I I appreciate what you're saying. Maybe his his absolute peak as a manager was in the was in the 90s, but he still uh, knew a thing or two about the game. He just he he, he got Holland to the semi final of the World Cup. A pretty bad Dutch team as well.
2: Yeah, but that was after Ed, Ed Woodward had appointed him, wasn't it? So, um. I th- you actually look at the circumstances of his departure from Bayern; uh, that they seem a little similar to what's gone up at Manchester United, where there is confusion amongst the players. The players play with an absolute handbrake on. I mean, you watch a Manchester United player running forward now. There's too many things going through the heads. They're just wondering, you know, what, what am I doing right here? Am I, you know, there's no instinct. The, the, Van Gaal's thing is to make the players pl- like lose their instincts and go along with his bidding. And I don't think his bidding actually fits, well, Manchester United, the Premier League in 2015. Um, it worked 20 years ago at its apex. It doesn't work now. And he, um, you know, this, this is a guy who uh, always seems so... Uh, so courageous in his own convictions, but I think he's actually lost that. He looks there's there's a guy that looked frightened for his life on Saturday.
4: Yeah, um, but I mean, in terms of what you're saying, this you know the the players have too many things going on in their heads. What about any attacking player in a Jose Mourinho team? I mean, this has been a this has been a, a constant theme of Mourinho's career, certainly since he arrived at Real Madrid that attacking players in particular feel that they, they don't know what to do. They're isolated in a team, a manager who only thinks about defence, a manager who doesn't want the ball. Um, you know, and, and we see over time, with the solitary exception of Cristiano Ronaldo, they all sort of get ground down by this. I mean, if Louis van Gaal is not the answer, then I can't see how Jose Mourinho, uh, with his, you know, famously negative style of football, is the is the, is the answer to this, this question either.
2: No, I don't think he's the answer either, Ken. I mean, I think the thing is, Mourinho is, is like a short-term solution, a nuclear option that United are going, might go for. Um, but I don't see him as a fit for Manchester United. As I said, I didn't see him as a fit for Manchester United in 2013. I don't see him as one now. The problem is that for Manchester United, if they are going to remove Louis van Gaal, they're perhaps going to have to accept that they're going to have to come to a they're gonna to have to think it through a bit more than just, just going for an option like Mourinho and hoping it works. There's been too much of that at, at Manchester United since Ferguson left of just, you know, throwing things against the wall and hoping they stick. And that's Mourinho would see the ultimate uh personification of that to me I don't think he fits Manchester United he might bring them a little bit of success but we've seen with Mourinho what he leaves behind could sometimes be an awful mess and if Manchester United is already a mess when he arrives <laughs> well <laughs> you, you, you do fear for the club a little bit. Who,
1: do, who does look like a good fit to you then? Have you got any suggestions?
2: Well, there's there's what there's one answer for every club. There's a there's you know there's a bloke that, that's that's announced that he's leaving Bayern Munich at the weekend, and that's that's Pep Guardiola. Mm. Uh, it would seem that Manchester City are in pole position. Um, it does seem odd, doesn't it, that there's one man that is a solution to every club. I mean, I have heard Arsenal, have, you know, that, that there is a that, that we might fancy him as well. Um, and yeah, someone was saying the other day about Manchester City have had this five-year plan to bring in Pep Guardiola for three years. Well, that seems a bit of a waste of five years. But, you know, um, <laughs> Guardiola does seem to be the man that could turn around, around Manchester United, could give them that belief. Um, Ed Woodward needs to up his negotiating skills, work that contact book, get the deal done, if you ask me. But I'm not sure he's going to get it done at all.
1: All right, John, brilliant stuff. Thanks, me Happy Christmas as well. Thank you.
2: Yeah, happy Christmas, lads. Cheers. See
0: if you don't get this out Motherwell. You know away, mate? Your bags and your desk,
1: boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging,
2: speaking through my heart. Who would I want in? I've
1: got my Terry Butcher in.
0: Mr. Tate, how you doing?
2: Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, take no beat, take no, take take no, no beat. Just so it's all, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't you know me, I can't you know me, I can't
3: you know me, I can't you know I can't, you can't know me. You have lost the fans tonight,
2: you don't deserve the fans. What's it fans? did not it fucking wouldn't it? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Gunners of Records stuff. It's get out grunt! He's your biggest fool. Manchester.
1: So it sounds like the old vote of confidence. Well, the, the the new version of that is two games to save his job. Anytime we read this now from now on, two games to save his job means...
3: That we're looking for his We're looking
1: for his replacement at the moment. Now, uh, John reckoned that he looked frightened for his life on Saturday. Van Hal has lost the courage of his convictions. and This is something that we were talking about a little bit earlier on in the report on sport. I mean, it's admirable that he's being so honest, but actually, is it not really what... If you're Ed Woodward, or if you're the Glazers and you're sitting there watching an interview, you're thinking, well, Van Hal, um, we've kind of brought you in precisely not to start doubting yourself.
4: Maybe Van Hal feels a little bit alone, you know, like he can't really trust people anymore. For instance, his assistant was, you know, pantomiming way down in the technical area, leaving him to sit there. Van Hal doesn't do that because he doesn't think it makes a difference. That's his philosophy, you could say. Ryan Giggs showing how much he cares. Manchester United runs through his veins he was out there making sure everyone in the stadium could see how much he cared. So Van Hal's thinking, okay, well there's, there's my trusted assistant. Okay. (laughs) Number one. Now Van Hal, you see see these briefings have all happened in in the last couple of days. So you can see the Manchester journalists getting largely the same story to two games or, you know, Mm. things are not looking good for, for Mr. Van Hal. If you remember just two weeks ago, there was also a, there was a series of, uh, similar sort of briefings in which, uh, a, a highly placed source at Manchester United was talking about how Louis Van Gaal was a genius. How the club had no interest in pursuing Pep Guardiola as a manager because Van Gaal was such a genius. The only question was, would they give him a new contract now? Yeah. Or after Christmas, would they wait? Would they wait until after Christmas, or are they just give him the? Now that's just a couple of weeks ago.
1: That was, but that was weird because even at the time, things were, looked like they were slipping, and yet they, that was the vote of confidence, I guess.
4: Well. Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe, but, you know, why do the vote of confidence need to be issued? Usually, a vote of confidence doesn't say, our manager's a genius and we're thinking about giving him a new contract. Usually, it says, the board wants to place on record its support for the manager. You know, that's sort, that's sort While the results it's, do
1: need to improve. It's
4: usually, <laughs> while we recognize concern over you, know, you don't say, he's a genius. When are we going to give him the contract? That's just, you know, that's the only thing we're, we're asking ourselves here. Will it be this week or next week? So, Van Gaal might be thinking, you know, this is really. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about of my footing at this club anymore. And obviously, he was being booed by his supporters. I don't think everyone in the ground was booing him. I think I think plenty of the supporters probably think, "Oh, can't believe we're booing our own team and booing our our own manager."
1: Aren't they always patient well, with the manager? But he was booed.
4: <laughs> he was booed, and the booing yeah. got worse. You know, it was a lot. It's a long walk down to that tunnel in the corner, and the booing got worse and worse as he approached the Stretford End. You know, it was louder and louder, and, and by the time issue, he was yeah. by sorry. The, sorry, no one, yeah. By the time he was disappearing down the tunnel, he knew that okay, this has really turned against me, and he came he came then and said like a few honest things, old fashioned sort of honesty, which is going kind to of just get kind to of punished. I think.
1: I think the reason he's getting booed is that David Moyes r- forgot to do what Alex Ferguson did for David Moyes. You've got to, your job now is to support the next manager. Is what Moyes should have said Yeah. To the, an old <laughs> <crowd>. <laughs> about, about the next manager. I
3: hope that that long-standing Utd tradition <laughs> is restored. with yeah. Louis Van Gaal gets <laughs> That would be, be good.
1: All right, John Brown reckons Pep is a man for Manchester United. Guardiola will leave Bayern in the summer. He's confirmed that's going to happen. Raphael Honnestein, your reaction to that news? First of all, were you surprised at all?
0: I'm surprised that Bayern managed to keep it on the reps for so long because we now know that. Guardiola indeed told Bayern on the 6th of December, so two weeks ago, that he was not renewing their contract. They came up with this fairly elaborate charade that it was going to be a big meeting after the Hanover game. That meeting never took place. Guardiola went straight to Spain to celebrate Christmas with his parents. Um, And Bayern had enough time, of course, to sort somebody out in terms of his succession, which has softened the blow quite considerably.
4: Rafael, um, I wonder what Bayern Munich's what has Bayern's reaction been to this? I mean, they must be thinking to, them, to themselves, "Look, you've got the perfect setup here. We've done everything for you, uh, and everybody here seems to like and respect you. So why do you want to leave?
0: Well, they're a bit disappointed, of course. I think the team and the squad was their biggest argument. Um, they're, they're the closest team in Europe playing to to this, playing the sort of football that Guardiola wants to play. Uh, you know that is a big compliment for him. Um at the same time, listening to what they've been saying about uh, Ancelotti and reading between the lines, you know, Rummenigge praised him as somebody who's very calm and balanced. You always get a bit of an echo about the guy who's there at the moment. And uh, while they absolutely appreciate his football expertise and think he's an absolute genius and have never seen a manager work so well with a team, he has also been fairly difficult <laughs> To get on with. And uh, I think there's an element of exhaustion uh, at the club. And while they would have been prepared to overlook all that and uh, continue working with him I sense there's also, also an element of relief that they no longer have to wait for somebody to give an answer and to be strung along, but actually are back uh, where they you know, feel more comfortable which, uh, in, which is A, to have a coach who wants to stay there in a long time, and B, being in control of the situation with Guardiola, but I never really felt 100% in control, and I think that was something that the club's bosses found very hard to deal with.
4: There are a couple of familiar themes emerging there, which we can remember from around about the time that Guardiola left Barcelona. Uh, That sense of exhaustion seemed to be the case among the players there. Certainly... Uh, The relationship with the directors had deteriorated badly. There were different directors at the beginning, uh, at the end than the beginning, of course. Um, Is that still the case? Do you think with Guardiola that managing up uh, his relationship with the hierarchy, with the club, seems to be uh, the thing he has most trouble with rather than managing the relationship with the players? I think the
0: situations with Bayern and Barcelona don't really compare well in that respect because at Barcelona, the problem was that. When the presidency changed, he didn't feel he had the same amount of backing. Uh, plus, I think the pressures of the Barcelona job, the political side of it, you know, with all the nationalism and all the stuff going on behind the scenes, I think that took its toll on him. At Bayern, his issues were with the, with the medical staff that continue to be at, the, at loggerheads over injuries. But that's something that I don't think really affected him that much in a day to day running. And it is, I think, more on Bayern's behalf that they have felt it really strange that he would react so emotionally to to things and could sometimes sulk about little things that that they felt was was very normal. And quite crucially, you know, we've talked about Bayern for a number of years and you know that they are seen as FC Hollywood. But the reason for that is because it is part of the, the culture at the club that big names speak out quite regularly, both in public but also to each other. And that's not seen as something that has to be personal, that's really an argument, just more of a, a debate, a discussion. And I think Guardiola never really understood that. And at the same time, Bayern never really understood why, if they had an issue with Guardiola or wanted to discuss something, that they couldn't just go into his office and then sit down with a chat, but had to go for advisors, had to wait for the perfect moment. And they, they really pussyfooted around him for a long, long time. Uh, but I think they're quite happy that in Ancelotti they'll have somebody who's, I think, much, much easier to deal with as far as you know, being nice to his superiors as well as to his players is concerned.
4: It, I mean, what you're saying there towards the end is, is actually quite interesting. Why is it that Guardiola can't just sit down in an office with his employers and have a chat about how things are going? I mean, it seems like a pretty normal situation for anybody who's employed in any situation that occasionally they're going to have to talk to the people who are employing them and explain, you know, how how things are going.
0: Well, I think he is, he's not somebody who enjoys that kind of social situation very much. You know, the players love him as a coach, the the fans appreciate him as a coach, but you don't sense a great deal of real love, of real emotional attachment. And he has remained distant, you know, by and again, uh, it's always very important for them that you feel part of the family they want you to be buying through and through. With Guardiola they never really managed to to do that and that's why I don't think they're surprised either. Because I think he got there with a view of spending three years in Munich and uh, that's what he did. They couldn't change his mind. And I think the other the other thing's just his his character. You know, there are people who who love talking in public, who love talking to strangers. Guardiola when you saw him sometimes in one of the Munich bars are having dinner by himself, always gave out the vibe that you'd rather not approach him. And uh, I think he's he's just that type of guy.
1: Is, is, I think they've certainly got the right man now in Carlo Ancelotti, because if, even if he doesn't feel a part of the Bayern family, he'll certainly let it appear as though he does feel part of the family and he won't make too many waves and he certainly won't be too distant from the owners or anything like that, Rafa, but it does sound a little bit um, naive or something, a little bit like an old romantic notion that Bayern have that uh, managers and players and everybody has to feel part of the family when really they're actually part of just a massive multi-million pound business.
0: Yeah, I mean, of course not every player is going gonna, is gonna to buy into that, but I think you've seen uh, with the likes of of Müller and Lahm and Schweinsteiger until he left, that there is actually big value uh, to, the, to the club if you get your players to, to buy into that because they, stick, they tend to stick around longer. Uh, they help you with uh, the way that the club identify with the team and they take some of the corporate culture that exists in the dressing room and sort of lead as, uh, lead as an example for the next generation. I think United have had it, Barcelona certainly have it. And um, I think there's no coincidence that Bayern's success has come at a time where they have been able to bring these players through. Uh, with the manager, they found it more difficult. And now the the obvious metaphor thing that everybody is uh, is making is that you know Guardiola was was the bride that everybody wanted, uh, but perhaps feared that it wasn't going to be a long term marriage So they couldn't quite domesticate domesticate that bride, and she would always wander off the bench. was, you know, Ancelotti's not quite as sexy. Not quite a spin, but probably much much easier to deal with uh, at home. And I think there is a truth in that. Uh, managerial appointments often cyclical. You pick the the manager who's different to the one before, and I think in Ancelotti they've got that. But at the same time, somebody who is as close as you can get to a pair of safe, safe pair of hands when it comes to winning titles at big clubs.
4: Yeah. And I guess at his most recent club, he came in after a quite difficult, demanding manager, and promptly won the Champions League. So Bayern would be pleased to see things go that way. Um, But the reports that have been emerging in Germany, and none of these reports are confirmed; they're, they're all simply, you know, ZDF understands or you know whatever. Is that Manchester City is the most likely destination for Pep Guardiola? I mean, it seems as though he wants to now do a little stint in the Premier League but Manchester City seem to be the, the club that he's most strongly linked with. Now, do you get the impression that that's still an open question?
0: Uh, it's very hard to say. I asked three different, uh, very, very well-placed sources in Munich last week, and I got three different answers. One was absolutely adamant that he was going to City. The other said, no, is the sort of guy that will only go to Man United. And the third one said, I think he's going to go on a sabbatical. Bottom line, nobody really knows because he hasn't really given any indication to the club. Collins Rummenigge yesterday said he thinks he does know but uh, would not be prepared to preempt that for his next employer, which to me sounds very much like Manchester City. But, you know, I'm not 100% sure that he himself has has had any indication from Pep or his people. So, I think while this is still open, he could still change his mind. He loves to change his mind. He's also in the past, I think, gave uh, clubs, the impression he would be willing to come only then to go somewhere completely different. But you know, simply from deducting from the the amount of time and effort that City have put into this, not just this this autumn, but over the last three or four years, you would think they're probably the closest to be uh, having some sort of agreement in place with him, simply because of the personal relationship I think that exists between him and Vigiri Stein and Soriano.
1: Okay, well, uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. We'll see what happens next. Listen, Raphael, thanks so much and happy Christmas. And to you. Cheers. Uh, it doesn't sound like Pep Guardiola is a fun guy to work with if you're in charge. Ed Woodward's not going to be having a lot of laughs with this guy.
4: Ed better just get out of his way. Yeah. Not that I think... I, don't, I, I mean, it sounds as though Manchester City are the are the likely destination here. Could be Manchester United. But, for, you know, I think Ed would be quite happy to do that. He's not like... He wouldn't be like Heinz Rummenigge or uh, you know any of the these kind of Bayern big beasts. Mm. He's not going to express an opinion on football ever if he can get away with it. I mean, he'd be quite happy just to leave the whole thing to Guardiola. That's one advantage I think of, of Manchester United. Maybe I don't know. I've, I've never heard Cheeky Baguera sign sounding off particularly, although he probably does have views on the game. He's worked with Guardiola before, so you know I'm sure it wouldn't be a, a problem. Um, it
1: doesn't sound like Guardiola though. Is kind of, it has. It was always gonna be interesting to see what he does at Bayern. It doesn't sound as though he is adapting in any way to his environment. He it's very much this is the way to play football, this mm. is the way to manage a club, and that's exactly what I'm gonna do.
4: Yeah. The mountain comes to Mohammed in the case of Guardiola. Mm. He doesn't you know and and I think he does lack a few of the kind of skills, like the political skills of uh, you know, uh, an Alex Ferguson type of manager. Um he doesn't uh, he doesn't handle criticism at all. He's, you know, he's like a temperamental, like a prima ballerina. You know what I mean? He's like, of course, I'm, I'm doing things right. What do you mean? He, it seems any any kind of criticism, he sort of shuts down. He, 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 he takes it as a betrayal. He starts to avoid the person who made it. You know, he, he couldn't handle a player like Zlatan Ibrahimovic at all. Zlatan might answer you back. He just couldn't couldn't take that. You know, I mean, Zlatan was obviously kind of frustrated, but it wasn't as though he, he could sit Zlatan down and kind of shoot the breeze and say, hey, listen, bud, you know, you're an amazing player. We all know that. It's just a question of trying to find how to uh, do the best, you know, how to do the best thing here. He just, uh, he, he kind of avoided eye contact and didn't talk to Zlatan at all. You know it just made the whole thing worse. I think he's just like that. I think the players have to do things his way. He's not going to be a guy who sits there and goes, Right, let's have an argument about this. What's your problem? This is the reason why. He just says, This is the way we're doing it. And if you don't want to do it, then there's a lot of other clubs out there. Yeah, but I think you know, English football is is, is full of uh, I think English football is quite good at following a new leader, at implementing instructions. If a new guy comes in with a great way of doing things, everyone will. Will obediently follow what he's doing for a while. I think English football is, is good that way. There's not that many, there's not that much, you know, individualism or sort of. Well, coach, really, do do we want to do things that way? There's a culture of obedience, which I think actually might suit him down to the ground. You know.
1: All right, look, I know you've been playing it pretty cool with the Christmas shopping so far, but come on, we're at the twenty-first of December now. You're going to have to get it over with at some stage. And I've got a couple of pieces of advice to help you here, either. Listen to our Sportsbook of 2015 podcast that we put out last week or if an hour's worth of entertaining chat about Sportsbook sounds like more hassle than it's worth, just head straight to the shops, pick up a copy of... I'd probably go for... The Second Campus, Sports Annual, annual sports of volume, volume, of volume, one? volume 1 there if you're in the shops there. Fresh delivery in late last week to the shops, so go in and get them now over the next couple of days. We have got another podcast coming out today which will feature Ulsters and to lose and unfortunately Andy Lee's defeat to Billy Joe Saunders. Thanks very much, Kieran.
3: Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks very much, Thank, Thank you, Kieran. Thank
1: you, Owen. And just remember... Listen to Bladder, it doesn't matter. Which
4: phone is that? That's it? the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, does, does, does.